Yeah, there we go. So I was kind of like musing on Mark and just thinking, well, okay, if God is saying something, what are you saying specifically to me to share this evening? Um, Weirdly, next Sunday morning, I'm going to be using Mark's gospel as well. I already feel God has said uh, something uh, to me about that. And it kind of flows and follows a little bit. So um, it's been good uh, to look at the, uh, the gospel of Mark and hopefully some Bibles there for you. We're going to have a look at a passage which I was challenged with. And um, I just pray that that will be something that will be a challenge to you guys as well. So... Um, I think what we looked, I was talking to Pete White when we met as leaders to discuss Mark's gospel. One of the things that Pete said, he always looks at Mark's gospel very much like a newspaper. It's very headline. It's very kind of, of, of very matter of fact, this is what happened, then that happened, then that happened, then that happened, then that happened. And, and you can get a little bit of an idea of this in Mark 1 alone. Um, as, as Toby uh, shared, John the Baptist is preparing the way. There's uh, Jesus' baptism. John's then in prison. Uh, Jesus announcing the good news. Uh, Jesus calling his disciples. Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Jesus heals many. Uh, Jesus takes some time out, but people are everywhere. Uh, and Jesus heals a man with leprosy. This is all in one chapter. And it's kind of like, I was, you know, you could stop there for an entire season of teaching series just on Mark 1 alone. But we kind of tackled it in one evening and we're trying to go through this evening by evening. And it's, it's really interesting how much conversation it stimulates. Um, and there's so much information and there's not one bit about his birth. Mark 1 just starts off the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger. There's no message of the birth, there's no message of all that kind of stuff. It's straight into the ministry of Jesus in Mark's gospel, which is, which is quite uh, fascinating. I love it. Um, so Mark 2, I want to look at Mark 2, uh, 1 to 12. Um, so if we can turn to that, that would be uh, really good. Um, I'll read... Uh, all of this first bit. It's a very, very well-known story to us. Very well-known story. Um, and let's just, let's just unpack it a little bit. So Jesus says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat uh, uh, the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. A very famous passage, uh, and Toby uh, brilliantly kind of asked that question, really, of what Jesus said. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, pick up your mat and walk? And, um, you know, it talked about the forgiveness of sins and uh, Jesus' healing ministry, and we could see this start to happen. In Mark 2, we see that the Pharisees, this is actually the first time that the Pharisees kind of turn up, and we hear about them the first time. Mark 1, um, there's actually not a lot about them. Um, But in Mark 2, we see the Pharisees turn up. They've heard the reports of this man claiming to be God, He's walking around the synagogues and the countryside, preaching and healing the sick and casting out evil spirits. So as a religious leader, they went out to see what this guy was on about, as all good church leaders would be. If someone turned up in Billericay claiming to have all of the understanding and knowledge of Jesus, then I would want to know what he's on about. I would want to know who this person is. So this is what they're doing. So Toby asked a really interesting question. Why did Jesus have a go at the, the, um, the Pharisees? A really interesting thing to kind of think, yeah, these guys were following the Torah, but he's right, they hadn't actually married the two up together. They hadn't really worked out that this Jesus was the son of God. So they were kind of like thinking it was a blasphemer. In Mark 2, they don't actually say anything. They're thinking it. They don't challenge Jesus at this point. They're thinking it. Now, that would have been my first example when Jesus actually says, I know what you're thinking. They'd have gone, hello, there's something strange about this bloke. How can he know what I'm thinking? But he says, I know your hearts. And he challenges them. But they are about to challenge him as well. And we read throughout the Gospels how the Pharisees were constantly there, constantly challenging Jesus, constantly sniping and biting, trying to undermine and have a go at him. And not once did he get angry, apart from one time in the father's house and all that kind of stuff. But he just got back at them and he just spoke scripture to them, spoke to them how they should have been looking after the people. And I know that going through this Gospel is going to open up some real discussion uh, for the young people. I'm already looking forward to Mark 3. Uh, it talks about the unforgivable sin. I'm sure we're going to have a great time uh, with that one. I'm just going to grab my water because I know they always ask me that question and I always give them the same answer from scripture. <laughs> so it's good. Mark 3 is just like bang, 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 bang. It's an assault on you really as a gospel. So as I was uh, reflecting on Mark 2 as we were reading it, Um, I sometimes have some random thoughts and the question I had was did they fix the roof? (laughs) That's the question I had. As a good carpenter did they fix the roof? Because did Jesus turn up again with some tools and some of the disciples and says look these guys pulled up the roof and everything let's let's fix it and everything. I don't know they're the kind of questions sometimes I ask in my head but they're the kind of practical things I think about. Um, I know that's not the point, but here we go. Um, and I think what, what's interesting about this, here we've got it, is in, in Mark 2, there are people everywhere. 
Um, there's, there's so many people, and straight away outside this house where Jesus has turned up, there's no room just outside as well. It's absolutely packed. Now, we don't know how many people were there. We don't know how big the house was. And there must have been hundreds. must have been hundreds of people there. If you go back briefly to Mark 1, verse 40... Um, yeah, verse 40. It actually says that where Jesus is healing a man of leprosy, he actually tells the man not to go and tell anyone. And I've always thought that's a really strange thing to say. Don't you want the gospel to be shared? Don't you want people to know? In fact, actually what Jesus said is go and tell uh, the priest and, and actually, you know, that, that you've been cleansed because that's actually who needs to know um, that this miracle has happened. But like a good human being, as we all do, he just goes out and tells everyone. You know, look at me. Do you remember? I was covered in, in leprosy. And, you know, le- lepers were shunned at the side, outside of the community. So for this guy to come in without any leprosy was, was whoa, what? You, wow. And, and what we see here, actually, in verse 45... Um, just looking down at that, instead he, he, he says, instead he, uh, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So Jesus couldn't enter, a ta- enter into a town because of the people. Everywhere they were tracking where he was going. If he had a GPS, everyone could be like follow him. You know, you could follow an aeroplane in the sky. You'd be like, where's Jesus now? Oh, he's out there kind of thing. Everyone was kind of following him. It was kind of like this, this really weird thing. He's now become a celebrity. He's become a celebrity. <coughs> News of his work spreads everywhere, and rightly so. Now, we, I was saying, we said to the young people in the older group, actually, we get sometimes a bit starstruck when we find out that somebody famous is in a place. And I was reading that there's a famous YouTuber that kind of brought the middle of Birmingham to a standstill because he was there. Hundreds of people turned out to see uh, this YouTuber who's got really famous... And, and everyone like, he's there, we're going, he's in Birmingham, let's go. And people went and they literally were going there to try and get a picture, a, a glimpse of him. He was a famous person, you know, a selfie maybe. You know, that's the kind of thing. And then we could say on the social medias, look, I got a selfie with so-and-so. I love selfies anyway, I'm not complaining about that. I'll, I'll always take a selfie, as you know, sorry, those of you on Facebook. But Jesus has become famous but he hasn't become famous for the sake of we just want to see you know, him and how popular. The reason is, it's just that people were bringing out their sick. People were bringing out their demon-possessed. People were bringing out those that needed something, a healing. And when someone turns up who is doing that, you grab everything and you grab everyone and you go. You do, don't you? I mean, for... for, for you know, these young people that went out to kind of check out how this YouTuber was, you know, that was their Saturday. Their Saturday was filled with trying to go and find out who this guy was and what he was doing. For these guys back in the first century Israel, they've got a sick child who's dying. They scoop them up and they will go wherever. 
They will go wherever. They will walk for, 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 for miles to do it. Because if there is a man that can heal them, I'm taking my son. You know, people literally, and this is where we see these four guys turning up, friends probably of this guy, walking, we don't know how far, with him on a mat. He's paralysed. He cannot get there himself. And these four guys turn up with him. Now, if Christ turned up in Billericay High Street, just saying, healing and delivering people of demons, of afflictions, all this kind of stuff, would we be up there like a shot with our sick friends, our sick relatives? Would we be grabbing them, get in the car, get scooping them, forcing them, throwing them, kicking them in the car, up to the high street? There's no parking, but who cares? We're going. No cars, right, OK, we're dragging them. We'd, we'd pick, we would do it, wouldn't we? We would do it. We know in this room, and we've got people that we know that have got illnesses and ailments, and we'd want to take them. And this is where I think we struggle. Because Jesus says that the same power he had is now in us through the Holy Spirit. So why aren't we seeing the doors of the church being banged on to heal the sick and cast out demons? Why aren't we up the high street being mobbed by people who want to see us heal the sick through the Holy Spirit? I don't claim to have the right answer, but this is the challenge I have for me personally. I'm not, I'm not accusing us of anything. I'm asking the question. I'm pondering on it because I personally am not operating in this way either. Why? That's the question I've had all this week and it's frustrated me. <laughs> and this is the, the, just a few thoughts that, that I feel possibly, and there's loads more that it could be. Um, oh, you go back one, sorry. It's a bit temperamental. Look, as I, was, as I was looking at these, were the three things that I was kind of like pondering on, but I know in that there's so much more. I mean, being led by the Holy Spirit first and foremost is key, okay? But I do believe, I just want to ask the question, how strong is your faith? Do you have confidence? And what experience is that, that you're learning from that actually you gain confidence and more faith as you do things? So if you look at verse 5 in chapter 2, It says literally, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't the faith of the guy on the mat. <laughs> He'd probably been carried there saying, I'd really like to be healed. It was the faith of his mates that Jesus saw. Now, we could go into Jesus saying about, is it easier with the Pharisees to, to, to forgive someone's sins? That's not what I want to think about tonight. I want to think about their faith. They picked their mate up, stuck him on his mat, don't know how long they walked. They got him there. They were that confident that they could get him to Jesus that they broke through the roof and lowered him down. Jesus saw that and he went, boy, these guys love this fella. They're serious about him. And he got to action with them. Do we have that kind of faith and confidence ourselves? Now, I believe they were confident because they'd heard of the reports of people all over the countryside being healed. Like I said, 
People, they would have seen them. They let that leper coming into that town. People would have known a guy that was outside, bits of his body falling off, was all of a sudden the bits of the body are back and he's healed. There it is, evidence in front of you that there's a miracle man about. So when you hear that in the countryside, you're like, right, let's get our friend there. So they had faith, they had confidence that they could take that guy there, that this guy could heal their friend and it spurred them on. It spurred them on. What spurs us on? What's our uh, context? Where is our faith at? If it's as small as a mustard seed, it can move mountains. That's what scripture tells us. If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we have the potential to move mountains. Where's our confidence and what is our experience? Now, forgive me for saying it, but I think actually we are a little bit too timid sometimes. I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, of actually being bold enough to pray for someone's healing and stuff like that, we're a little bit timid. One of the things is we're British, we don't like to be uh, impolite and we don't want to offend and that's, that's right and that, that's fine. We don't have to be overbearing and rude, uh, but we, all, we are called to be fire carriers for Jesus. You know, if the power in uh, us is the same that was in Jesus and he was healing people, question I'm asking myself Where do I have to operate? What do I have to do, Father, to get to a point where I can pray for... Actually, God says you don't have to be at any point. I can use you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? We need to have faith and confidence in the Holy Spirit. That he is who he says he is. That he has been left for us by Christ. He said to the disciples, one is coming who will give you power in my name. Are we trusting and hearing and using the Holy Spirit to the great effect that we can do? Are we seeing him operate in our own lives so that we can do immeasurably more? Now, I believe confidence comes by doing it and failing. We hate to fail. We're British. We don't fail We don't like it when failure comes. We don't like it when we make mistakes. And we always try to put in place maybe even a little bit of a fear factor when something, well, that could go wrong, well, that could go wrong, or that could go wrong. Yeah, it could. And many people stop what they're doing because they have that fear factor. But actually, um, I really loved a book by a guy called George Verwa who headed up Operation Mobilisation. And a book was called Failure... The Back Door to Success. Tiny little book, brilliant read. If you haven't get it, it's just fantastic because it talks about how when we fail at things, we learn from it. Getting out and having a go at something and totally messing it up is not failure. Failure is not getting up and getting out the door in the first place. By staying indoors and just doing nothing, that's failure. Complete failure. If you get up, you get out, you get on with it, and you make the mistakes, that's not failure, that's learning. That's a learning curve. That's how I see it. Happy for anyone to challenge on that. The more you learn how to not do something, the better at it you get. 
There are plenty of times when I've messed up and I've messed up and I've messed up. And I think, why do I keep messing up, Lord? And he says, because of that. And you keep doing it, when are you going to stop? You've got to learn from it. A child will learn to walk and fall down. Now, it could, as the child think, that's it, I'm never going to try and walk again. And if that was the case, we would all have come here this evening crawling. And just like, I'm going to get there. And you know the backwards baby shuffle they do at some point. I love that crawl. When they're just like, all they do is go backwards. Go forwards for once, for once, turn them around, there you go. But that's what we'd be like. But actually there's something in us that keeps going. The baby keeps going. And, it, and it eventually, sometimes you have to put something like a table or a chair for it to climb up to, to get there. Yeah, standing. Yeah, you're down again. But a baby learns, it learns, it learns. We've all learned, haven't we? We've all learned these things in life. We've never given up. Getting go, uh, getting out and having a go and failing is a growth and learning point. And I repeat it, the more you learn how not to do it, the more confident you become as it goes right. Ah, it went right that time because I didn't do that for once. Right, now what to do now? It's quite simple. When the disciples uh, came back to Jesus at one point and said, um, we can't um, cast out this demon in this person. And Jesus actually said to them, he teaches them, he says, right, now you're learning something. Not all demons can be cast out just like that. This one needs to be dealt with through fasting. So he's teaching them another spiritual discipline, how to fast. He's now you need to deal with this one. Okay, right, we'll do that then. You know, a great teacher. Listen to those around you that can be teaching you as young and as old as they are. And I think actually there's a determination spirit in every single one of us. The friends of this paralysed man were determined. They wanted to see him healed. They hated to see his friend like that. So what does it look like in practical terms? I'm a practical man. I like to do these kind of things. And I've got some practical steps that I have done over the years just to challenge me. I did this when I was really young, actually, probably about 13, as I had a mate of mine who was, um, and I've told the guys before, and I've told you all before, a mate of mine who came to Christ after a long time. Firstly, read scripture, all right? I, I like to, I've read Revelation 20, I've read all of Revelation, and Revelation 20, read especially the bit about Satan's doom, that's always an encourager, that actually one day he will be out of our lives. All right, that's a good one. Um, read about Satan's doom, and that hell and death themselves will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire, where anyone's name isn't in that book will also be thrown into as well. All right, sobering reading, Revelation 20. Then read Revelation 21 and 22. They follow, so it's pretty easy. See where people go for those that have chosen, whose names are written in the book of life and how awesome it is. Now, I did this as a very young man. It scared me a little bit to realise that actually, if it wasn't for Christ, that's my destiny. And I'm really glad that I carried on reading Revelation 21 and 22 because now I have a different destiny It's one in eternity with Jesus. It's in this wonderful place that we read about. And and John only gives us a glimpse of what Revelation of of heaven looked like. 
Then make a cup of tea. <laughs> Have a sit down, reflect and ponder. I think as a young man, I did a lot of thinking, pondering about what does it look like for those that don't know who Jesus is. Reflect on how you came to know Jesus. Who led you to Jesus? Who was instrumental in your coming to know Jesus? And then rejoice and worship that your name is written in the book of life. So that's what Jesus says in Luke 10, which I'm going to have a little look at in a minute. Jesus says, don't worry that the demons um, flee when you go out and cast them out, but rejoice at the fact that your names are written in the book of life. That's what you rejoice in. That's what we worship God for. Now think of all those names who aren't written in the book of life in Revelation 20. Because there's an awful lot of them. And that's where action needs to come. And it starts with prayer. Now we've got, um, in a couple of weeks' time, the young people, we've got Ian's going to come up and, 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 and share with you about prayer, prayer in his life, what it looks like. Uh, I think it's a real catalyst for us this term as we're looking on a Sunday morning at the armour of God. And, and just prayer is the first and foremost um, thing that we need to do as we focus on uh, reaching those that need to know about Jesus. So the next thing you do, I believe, is pray. Pray for the person or the people that you feel Jesus is telling you to reach. And keep praying for them. Just because it doesn't happen in a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or five weeks or six weeks, don't stop. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Like I've told you, my mate took ten years. Long time. Then go and make another cup of tea. Tea's really important. We're British. I like a cup of tea. It's really good just to stop and ponder. We don't stop and ponder enough in life. We don't stop over a cup of tea or a hot chocolate or whatever it might be and sit there with the word and think about it. We see it as a chore that we've got to get through. No, Jesus wants us to stop. says there in Mark 2 that he went to lonely places. He was alone. People followed. But he got away a little bit. And then read Luke 10. And this is where I'm kind of like finishing with. Uh, Luke 10. Luke 10 in a nutshell is for me one of my favourite passages in scripture. The reason why, and I've said it before, um, there's a book I read by a guy called Ed Silvoso, who a South American preacher, and the book is called Prayer Evangelism. And it's brilliant. He said, before you do anything, pray. Before you do anything, If you're not seeing people come to know Jesus, it's because you're not praying for them. If you're not praying for your town to come to know Jesus, you're not praying for them. If you're not praying for your city to come to know Jesus, because you're not praying for them. It's quite simple. So he and some pastors started to pray for their small communities, their small towns, and lo and behold, people came to know Jesus through prayer evangelism. And he uses Luke 10, and it's one of my favourite, and I've said it before, it's one of my favourite, I love it, and I think it's Jesus' way of telling us how to reach people. Now you can read it in your own time, but the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples is actually to speak peace. Go and find it, go in twos, go and speak and be with a person 
of peace. In other words, for you yourself, drop the attitude, (laughs) drop the judgmental kind of way that we think about people sometimes, and just be a person of peace. It's difficult, I know, because I get wound up by people sometimes, and I want to let them know. But God says to us, and Jesus says, no, to the disciples, go and find a person of peace. And you've got to be that person of peace as well. Be nice to people. <laughs> it's not hard, is it? Or is it? I think it's really hard sometimes. For us as Christians, it is <laughs> to be nice. Because we feel we know everything. And we know we're right. We know the way. You're wrong. We may know that in our hearts, but it shouldn't be coming out here to accuse people, okay? Because that's a bit of arrogance, I think. Jesus then says, fellowship with them. I'm going to talk about this a lot more next Sunday morning. We come to communion next Sunday, and we have to bring and share lunch afterwards. And I'm going to ask the question of who are we eating with? But Jesus says, fellowship with them. Eat food. Eat food, eat food, (laughs) drink some drinks, eat some more food. Go to people's houses and eat food. I love that. I'll come to your house for dinner any night of the week. means I don't have to cook. Thank you very much. Go out for a pint of beer. Now, this doesn't apply to the young people under 18 years old. Go out for a pint of beer with someone. Have a glass of wine. Not too many, just enough. Just, you know, nice evening. Have a bit of fun. It's okay to be a Christian and have a bit of fun. It's all right. Sorry. We have a comedian in there. Over a meal, you get to know people on a different level. You really do. That's why actually a lot of the meetings I like to do are in coffee shops and stuff like that. I'm accused of being a coffee addict. But then again, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. So I'm all right. (laughs) But that was it. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he hung out with people that got drunk and were really fat off eating loads of food. And next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about why Jesus came. He didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. He came for the sinner. I nearly went into next week, but I won't. But as you get to know people, as you get to to chat about them, uh, about their lives and everything else like that, then you start to get to know what their problems are. They open up. They open up. And you're able to take care of their needs. They're able to pray for them. Lay hands on them if you've got the confidence and say, can I pray for you for that? that that actually would be sorted out. When you start praying for people, you start to see changes. When you start praying for people, you start to see changes. So when you're taking care of people, meeting their needs, they're amazed. And that's when you start to see the healings happen. You start to see changes happening. The dominion of darkness is pushed back and the kingdom of light comes. And that's what Jesus says in Luke 10. And then the kingdom comes. See, we as church think, actually, we've got to tell everybody about the kingdom first. Then you come into the church. That would be great. Then you can be my friend. 
that's what we kind of think. We kind of think, yeah, we've got to get them to church so they become Christians and all that kind of stuff. Then they can have some meals with us, and that's it. That's how we can do it. But Jesus does it the opposite way. He says all you've got to do to start off with is just be nice, be a person of peace, eat with people, get to know them, pray for them, start to see some healings, and all of a sudden they say, what is it that's going on in my life since you've been in, in it? And they go, let me tell you about Jesus. That's evangelism. That's evangelism Jesus style. Luke 10. And I love it and I'll operate in it until the day I die. It's through our acts of caring, eating and sharing with people that they see the character of Christ in us and they want that. Trust me, once you start doing this, you will then gain experience and you'll gain more confidence and your faith will rise even more by stepping out and doing these things. The example I use is the local football club. So many of you know that I go down there with a group of people and I've shared about it before. And I know my dad shared about this at Revival Church a couple of weeks back. A couple of weeks back, we started to prayer walk around the ground before a game. We hadn't been doing it. We just started chatting to people. And it's just like, well, you know, Dad said, let's, let's, let's prayer walk around. So the, literally the first time we did it, things started happening. The guy came up to us and he said, um, would you pray for my mate? He's, he's, he's gone through Alcoholics Anonymous with, with me and drug abuse and that kind of stuff. And he's really struggling, really getting angry with some stuff. And I know you prayed with me. Can you pray with him? Yeah, mate. Yeah, we, we will. We're looking at each other and someone just asked us if we can pray for them. That's, what, that's what's bonkers because that's what we're here for. You know, for two seasons, we've been at a football club just getting to know people. We're just getting to know people, knowing how they tick. They've started to pour out their hearts to us. They've started talking to us about things that are going wrong in their lives. Started to help some people. We said, yeah, we'll pray for this person and that person. We'll we'll pray for your niece who's having a brain tumour removed. My days, that's madness. She's having a brain tumour removed and you're asking me to pray for her. What an honour, what a privilege. Another guy who actually uh, is at the club, he's part of the staff, he's, he's got, he had really bad tongue cancer. I mean, really bad. It was awful. And I said, look, we'll, we'll pray for you. So we pray for him. He, he had an operation to have a lot of his tongue cut away, which is really horrible, some stuff in his neck cut away. And um, because then we got the confidence and we just prayed for this guy, I just went, I was, I was, at that point you're like, mate, you're not well. He's like, no, I know, I've had the operation. He said, can we pray for you? And he was like, yeah, all right. So in the middle of the football club, the game had ended. It was like 10, 20 people standing there. We just literally said, it's all right if I lay a hand on you and pray for you. He said, yeah, all right. We just laid a hand on him and prayed for him. Really simple prayer. Father, heal him. Heal him of his cancer. Thank you for the NHS and the doctors. I pray that the pain would go. Because he hadn't eaten since Boxing Day. And that was just like um, a couple of days into January. He hadn't eaten. About two weeks ago, he put on his own Facebook page, been back to the doctors, I'm totally cancer-free. Now, I said to him, I, said, I sent him a message. I said, thank God for the NHS and for prayer. And he sent me the little prayer emoji and a little blue heart. 
because of the football club's blue. It's just a tiny little thing, but that's what we're there for. And for me and for the guys that were down there, it, it's really confidence building. You know, we don't know what's going to happen down there, but we've been given an opportunity. Pray for us as we go there at each home game and just spend time with people, praying for situations. And, you know, you gave the guy who was a, an ex-alcoholic a, a, a Gideon's Bible, one of the Boys Brigade ones. Because it had all of the helps and that in it. And I said, it's a Boys Brigade one. We had this, and they said, oh, wait, that's brilliant. Thanks for it. I'll read that. I like reading Oh, you might rip the page out and use it as a smoke, roll it up, and <laughs> I've heard of that done before. But do you know what I mean? That's, we, we're there, we're there to, 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 to bless people and encourage people, and that's how we should be. As Christians, people should know that we're Christians, we're about Christ. And actually, I want to see signs and wonders in Billericay, not for our own glory, but for Christ's glory. I want to see people healed. I want to see our own people in church healed. What does that look like to us? That challenges me to, to stop and pray. And I, I'm not, I'm not criticising because I know many people have been praying for many people over many, many years. And we've seen stuff happen that's glorious. And sometimes we just go, why God? I haven't got the answer. But through all of this, we keep close to God. We keep praying. We use scripture for the questions that come. Let's have faith like those four friends of the paralysed guy. Let's have faith like them. I didn't know. I don't, that scripture doesn't tell us if they came to Christ. Scripture doesn't tell us if the, the, the paralysed man came to Christ. All we know is Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now get your mat, get up and get out. I've got to fix the roof. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> but you know you see what I'm saying? I just want to encourage us about our faith in Christ, our faith in our own ability through the Holy Spirit. Because I think we put ourselves down a little bit too much, thinking that, well, little old me can't do that. Yeah, if he can use those 12 disciples, he can use any of us. Let's pray. As the guys come up, we're going to spend a, a bit of time in some reflective worship. Father, I pray that anything I've said tonight won't be of, of, of judgmental, but it would be encouragement, that it would be a challenge to us all. Scripture, Father, should be that challenge. It's been a challenge to me, and I pray it would be a challenge to us, that we would just examine ourselves, that we would draw close to you. And as we draw close to you, Father, we would realise that there is a, a bigger job, a bigger task for us to do. That is to be the good news to show people to Jesus. So, Father, just as we spend some time now worshipping towards the end of this service, Father, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that you would enable us, that we would go out from here wanting to be that person of peace. Father, bring people of peace into our lives. Bring those people into our lives, Father, that you know you wanted us to be reaching and spending time with. Empower us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.